Well, hello, and we welcome you to the World Travel Dad Show, where we help you travel intelligently with your family. With trip planning, money-saving tips, and funny stories, we are a resource for your next travel chapter. We are excited to have you here, and we hope our adventure helps you with yours. Tips, jokes, stories, and overall fun for your ears to enjoy. Now here's our host, World Travel Dad. Welcome in. You found the World Travel Dad Show. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the lovely city of Vienna, Austria. This is the capital of the wonderful country of Austria. This is a country where I spent part of my honeymoon. I've snowboarded before, and it's just a wonderful country, but I haven't spent much time in Vienna until this time. We spent a week there. Um, I record these podcasts about a week after I leave a destination, so a lot of times I move on to the next spot. And my recording studio today is a refurbished old brewery in Czech Republic, a famous brewery from the 40s that uh, was crumbling. They turned it into a hotel, and now I'm recording here, and I can't wait. Um, I'm already working on next week's episode, but this week we're talking about Vienna, and why you should consider traveling there. If this is your first time joining the show, we start off with headlines from around the world that might affect your travel plans and the global situation. And then we switch over to our trip report for Vienna. And we will have some bloopers if I've made some, which usually I've made plenty, or we'll have some useful tips for you toward the end. So thanks so much for joining us, and let's go. I think the number one story right now is the war in Ukraine. This is a story that seems to just be going on forever, unfortunately, for the people involved. And I just saw a New York Times article that the Russian military has suffered almost a quarter of a million casualties, up to 50,000 dead. Uh, Ukraine is approaching 20,000 dead with possibly 115,000 casualties. This is just a complete disaster. I don't want to get into what is going on on the Russian side. I mean, I think I've I've talked about this before, but the there was an NPR correspondent named David Green years ago. You may remember him. He would appear with um Steve Inskeep on the on the morning edition and he wrote a book, David Green. Um, he became fluent in Russian. He was fascinated by the culture of Russia. And he wrote a book where he took the Trans-Siberian Railway several times, which takes up to six months, goes all the way across Siberia. And he went off on some of the arms of the railway to some of the smaller towns to interview people just to find out what's going on. And I just think the vast majority of of common Russians. They don't quite understand what's going on in the world. And this um, thing that Putin's doing is generating national unity. And I don't think we can really blame the average Russian. You know, what are they supposed to do? You can't, you can't overthrow the guy and who knows what's going to happen when Putin's gone. So looking back at this conflict, 
the there was recently Pentagon memos that were leaked, and I'm sure in the states you've seen this, you've heard about this. I don't know if it's front page news in many people's minds, but I think this is really um, a bad development. I think that the idea that these documents were leaked is going to undermine the war effort, um, and you can't spin it as anything other than a very detrimental development in in the conflict. Um, I you know I want to talk about what's, what was in the documents too. Um, for one thing. Uh, apparently the U.S. Was, is spying on its own allies to tr- because we don't fully trust them. Um, look, I mean, who can blame us? You know, if you're the U.S. and, you know, sometimes when you're kind of the big fish in the room, you, um, you're heavy as the head that wears a crown. You know, you, you can't even trust them, your closest allies. You know, you got Macron, you know, in France now, buddying up to uh, China. I mean, the, the the situation globally does not look good, um, and uh, but I think that this this leaked memo makes the U.S. Um, intelligence look like we still got it. You know, um, we're like the like the college athlete that people thought we couldn't do intelligence anymore. We you know we still got the old uh, the old cannon. Um, we we've really infiltrated various levels of the Soviet, Soviet, Freudian slip, the uh, Russian bureaucracy. And I think it, it makes us look very capable. Now the leak doesn't, the leak calls into question a lot of security clearance issues. Are we too lax in, in giving this, this out? I mean, there's always a balance. You know, you have to run your government. A lot of people have security clearance who are, who are complete meatballs. And any one of these goofballs can go out like Apparently, the the person who leaked these documents was some 21-year-old internet goofball. You know, a 21-year-old kid. I remember when I was 21. Nobody should have ever given me any kind of clearance like that. You don't have a fully, uh, uh, fully formed prefrontal cortex of your brain, which is the decision-making component of your brain. And... Before that is fully developed, you do some really dumb things. And correct me if I'm wrong out there, um, but I think I think this is potential, you know, felony treason. This could carry. I wonder what the minimum is. This could carry lifetime imprisonment. So this does not look good. And apparently, this this kid thought he was uh, doing something cool. This is really bad. Um, so anyway. Makes it looks like our intelligence still has it, and the other thing is the Ukraine air defense is really running out of steam, and this calls into question. You know what are we going to do? Because when when Ukraine gets to the end of its air defense ladder, um, they're going to start really getting pummeled. You you can't you can't allow Russia to have complete carte blanche over the Ukrainian battlefield. Um, there's, you know, I don't think that Ukraine could hold out very much longer at that point. I mean, it would be a complete disaster zone. You'd, you'd start looking at, you know, you know what's going to happen to Lviv. So um, I think I think it really calls into question what, are, what should we do? 
well, my opinion is I think we're, I think we're all in now. I think that this disaster zone is just going to have to keep going. And, you know, well, you know, how could you say that? You know, there's their lives involved, you know, well, I understand there are lives involved, but what are, what are the alternatives? There's, there's zero off ramp here and there's no indication that Putin even wants an off ramp. Um, if it were me, I would try to give the guy an off ramp. I would try to carve out some territory of Ukraine, call this thing quits and see, you know, see, see what we can see what we can do. He will allow Putin to save face for his people, allow him to say that he has uh, achieved some kind of victory. Um, but this could be too far gone. This conflict has completely sort of balkanized the global map. It's completely fractured the world into the, the good team, the bad team. I talked about it before. It's the BRICS nation. You know, BRICS are the, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, you know, with joining the bad guys. Unbelievable. South Africa. I thought you guys were like cool surfers. Um, and uh, there's, what's the other? Yeah, the, it's BRICS because now Saudi Arabia um, is on board. You know, the the ally that we've been defending, you know, f- to to up to hold up our global reserve currency forever, and now we got to worry that they're not an ally anymore, and they're they're making cuts to their um, release of petroleum because they know that we are trying to buy back petroleum to refill our strategic reserve. And so they are, they're doing uh, Peter Schiff called it a short squeeze. So we're getting short squeezed on oil now by our longtime ally. So yeah, there's that. But I think we, I think we're all in on Ukraine. I mean, I think we, we have to keep delivering, um, you know, F-18 or F-16s over to Poland and having them shipped into Ukraine. And look, we that is a strategic victory that, that old, good old Joe Biden pulled off somehow, that we're able to supply an enemy by proxy, and he's not doing squat about it. I mean, that should tell you right there that just keep doing it. You know, it it's not good for the people. I hate thinking about people having to live in subways. It's terrible. Um, you know, there's no other way to put it, but just keep it, keep it going. There's no, there's no off ramp. We can't, we can know we're, we're pot committed in, in poker. Like we can't back out now. So, you know, I used to tell my clients in litigation, like this is going to be uncomfortable, but sometimes you're just going to have to wait for like a year, year and a half. And you're going to have to go through the process and there's no quick out. And I can't promise you, but at the end of this multi-year journey of, you know, one, two, possibly three or four years, uh, most likely you're going to come out on top. You're going to achieve some sort of result. Um, but it's just going to be a grind. So that's where we are there. Um, I always like to check in on the U.S. dollar, uh, continuing its tumble. I, I, I'm so sad. I mean, I know. Play the sad uh, violin music. 
you know, it's 1.10 to the euro right now. Um, that's be- that's in better shape than it used to be. I mean, you used to go over to France and it was like 1.23 and you just get like crushed. But I think the days of the dollar are unfortunately um, heading in the wrong direction. I heard some of the someone the other day saying the dollar won't reserve won't lose its reserve currency in our lifetime, reserve currency status, I should say, in our lifetime. Um, I don't know I don't know why you would still say that. I know that that was the narrative before that. Look, these things take fifty years. You know, this doesn't happen all at once. A lot of stuff's been happening lately. A lot of stuff, and it goes back to the old uh, Lenin quote. There's decades where nothing happens, and then there are weeks where decades happen. I think, <clears throat> frankly, I was unprepared for how much I would like the city of Vienna. I had been there years before with a couple of buddies. We had driven from Prague. Uh, my buddy Mike and my buddy Doug, we had uh, rented an Audi and driven in the middle middle of winter into Vienna for like an overnight uh, but we were, we were young, you know, we were just, you know, drinking beer, looking for girls, you know, that kind of thing. And Vienna is so much more than, than what we experienced. So this time I returned, uh, with, uh, gray hair and a family and we just had an amazing time. Um, this, I mean, you could spend, you could spend eight nights. Uh, that's what we did. We spent eight nights and you could do that you know, easily with kids, you know, I get asked sometimes, you know, is it, is it a good place to take kids? Um, you know, younger kids, you know, ours are eight and 11 and it turned out to be a terrific place for that. We, the the subway system is very user friendly and it's, um, it's kind of like what you'd expect from like Austria. You know, if you've never been there, you've kind of heard about these people that, you know, very efficient, technologically savvy, um, educated, uh, sophisticated. You know, they've they've really built quite a city. There's a lot of Art Nouveau facades, which I I totally geek out over. It's like my favorite thing. Um, they used to be part of the Austro-Hungarian, uh, the Habsburg Empire. There's tons of history. Uh, so a couple of things we did, we did the, the, uh, house of music, um, the, the music museum. And this was a, you know, fairly reasonably priced four story museum that was geared towards kids primarily. There, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of floors where they talk about the science of sound waves and stuff and they, they make it interesting for kids. Um, I, I thought it was kind of cool too, but for me where the museum really took off is they there's a section where they walk you through the Vienna um classical school of uh, musicians and these are these are the mozarts of the world these are the uh strausses um strauss is, is a family there there's a family of 3 of them there was the dad and then two sons and uh the second is the son I think the Americans would be more familiar with probably um, some of the some of the, the songs he wrote and uh, or or the compositions I don't know what you even call the things but it's unbelievable um, 
you know, Beethoven. Um, you know, so my daughter and I kind of walked through that on our own and I was thoroughly impressed. I learned a lot about classical music. I'm really starting to like it a lot more. I, I kind of, you know, when you're younger, you, you, you don't really like it. You kind of, you want people to think you like it. So you seem smart, but, um, now I really like it, which is, I think that happens when you turn 40. I think that's kind of just the way it goes. And so I really, I, I totally geeked out in this section. Um, yeah, the Beethoven, Beethoven story, um, is fascinating. Uh, how he, he went deaf. He was, he was depressed. If you listen to his music, I mean, sometimes it takes you into these kind of darker places. Uh, but there, there was Hayden. He's good. Um, Schubert, uh, we talked about Mozart, Strauss, and then a bunch of kind of the lesser known um, uh, musicians. But you get to hear some of the the music. You get to learn all these fun facts, and they arrange it in a way that's that's interesting. So, I I recommend that one for kids. That was the one we kicked it off with that one. Okay, moving on to another museum. Uh, one afternoon, my daughter and I. Um, I think my wife and my son were, were kind of museumed out, but, um, I'm in Vienna. It's hard to, it's hard to overdo museums for me in Vienna. I mean, they're all over the place. You could, you spend two weeks doing cool museums, but the, uh, Kunsthistorische Museum is, um, it's right there on, uh, Maria Theresa Stadt, Theresienstadt. Um, it's, it's a main square and the Natural History Museum is right there. And right across from it is the um, Kunsthistorische Museum. And my wife and son went to the Natural History. They spent four hours there. So that's definitely kid-approved. Apparently it's it's pretty vast and amazing. And they loved it. But um, my daughter and I went to the more kind of grown-up one one afternoon. We had an hour and a half to kill. And so we ripped through the portrait gallery. Uh, these are... A lot of Renaissance, tons of Renaissance works. And sometimes in Austria, I, you got to be a little careful uh, on how the some of these works were obtained because at least one museum, not this one, I don't want to commit, you know, I don't want to slander anybody, but at least one museum has been accused of obtaining works of art during uh, Nazi occupation of Jewish areas and, um, and Nazi looting of occupied towns um so i don't know you you gotta be a little careful with that but not at not at the historisch not at kunsthistorisch so uh phenomenal wing of art seemed to go on forever tons of um there's there's some rembrandts in there there's an original rembrandt self-portrait that was probably one of the bigger ticket items uh just lots of uh, lots of Italian Renaissance painters. You know, I haven't heard a lot of these. Uh, I'm not some wealth of, of art knowledge. I think that's blatantly obvious. But um, we had a great time, you know, looking at this stuff. And not terribly expensive. I think my ticket was 21 euros and my daughter was free. And I think they're, they're free under 16 for, for this type of thing, for the kind of more grown-up-y one. So, you know, bring some, bring some water, bring some chocolates to kind of feed them, keep them moving so the, so you can kind of look at all the cool stuff. 
Okay, and then the other, there's a big ticket item called Schoen, Schoenbrunn Palace. It's like the royal palace, a little bit outside of the center. We had always been told, you know, hey, there's one thing you're going to do. You get out to Schoenbrunn. Well, I'm going to give it a four out of five star because, for one thing, I think it was a bit expensive. I think the tour that we did was fine. Uh, the the palace area itself is, is really cool. Um, former home of... Um, Maria uh, Teresa, um, not to be confu- confused with Mother Teresa, we'll, but we'll talk about Maria Teresa to kind of close up the trip report because she's pretty amazing. And uh, but it, you know she used to live there, the the Empress of the Austrian Empire in the late 1700s. And but yeah, I think there's a lot of hype for for Schönbrunn. Uh, you got to take gotta take a metro or a bus and then it's kind of a long walk to get up to the gate there there are a bunch of outdoor stalls with uh you know goulash uh pretzels you know beer hot wine it's kind of a cold day and the, and the stalls are really cool so we hit that up afterward um the palace itself was fine it, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as enjoyable of a tour as Buckingham Palace was. And so if you're, if you're doing comparisons, I think from a price standpoint, it's about the same. Uh, Buckingham Palace is hit or miss, though, because sometimes you can't even see the staterooms, and, and we were able to this year. So maybe it's a little bit of an unfair comparison. But I'm glad we did Schoenbrunn. I mean, now we see you know what we would have been missing. And if you, when you leave... To go to the um, underground station, you should leave out of the back side of the palace because there's a wonderful park. Um, and this is actually kind of my favorite part of the experience is taking a walk in this this beautiful park to get to the underground. And the kids actually love that too. They got, you know, we, we had eaten some goulash to kind of fuel up. And uh, then we headed out back and it was cold, but, you know, we had a, we had a great time. So that was the museum component of the trip we learned a lot about maria Teresa. so she was one of these like benevolent leader types um that occasionally come up in in time and i love benevolent leaders because would it wouldn't it be a cool thing if if like you had a a king or a queen which you know i'm not saying i don't want to go back to that i know American Revolution, I get it. We 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 fought to get away from that, but just think if you had like a really good ruler that knew what they were doing, cared about the people, tried to improve the lives of the empire. Well, that's what she did, and she um, instituted programs to ensure that uh, all poor children could go to school because heretofore it was only reserved for the upper-class aristocracy that's kind of that european caste system that makes me sick you know that's like the american in me like i can't like say what you will about the united states but you can you can go from extremely poor to extremely rich in the u.s and you can do so uh better than anywhere else in the world as far as i'm concerned um contrary to what you've heard you know, I know it looks like America's always eating itself from the inside and we're always complaining and, you know, there's all this racism and crime and all this other stuff. But 
we're still the country where you can pull that stuff off. Well, Maria Teresa embodied that by ensuring that her populace was educated, even those without means. Um, education is extremely important for the human spirit and human development. And so you got to tip your hat to her for that. She also um, she spent a lot of time in the town in, Pro- in Czech Republic where I will be uh, do it, sharing a trip report next week. So we're not done with her. Um, you know, we're just getting started. Uh, one other thing of note is that she moderated ties with the Turkish Ottoman empire. Um, the Austrians and Ottomans have been at their, each other's throats for, you know, 150 years. And, um, she enjoyed Turkish culture and she, essentially mediated a complete peace with the Ottomans during her reign in the mid to late 1700s. And as a result, there's a lot, there's a Turkish culture influence to the city of Vienna that is unmistakable and is delightful. Uh, There's obviously the Hungarian influence. And so um, we, I love Turkish culture. And so I'm right there with her on that one. Um, I'd like to give her props for that. And really Vienna is just this like melting pot of um, Rick Steves called it, you know, melting pot of spices from all the former holdings of the Austro-Hungarian empire, you know, Croatian, Slovakian, Hungarian, Slovenian, Italian, um, Czech for sure. And some Turkish. And it's a truly delightful city. Um, we had good weather a little bit, you know, kind of cold some of the other days. Didn't didn't really matter. Um, the the Nausch Market, Nausch Market was really fun. That's a food market. Uh, really, one of these cities where you're like, yeah, I wonder what, what, what does an apartment cost here? You know, should I consider living here? And then, you know, you have your third glass of wine. You kind of daydream for a bit. And, uh, you know, you always snap back to reality, but it's a fun discussion and a terrific, amazing city. And next week we will be in one of my all-time favorites, Czech Republic. Like I said, I'm sitting in an old uh, brewery right now. There's a bit of a storm outside. And I think I might uh, have one of those Czech beers they talk about. And can't wait to talk to you about it uh, next week. This is World Travel Dad. Let's face it, when I'm on the road, I get ripped off a lot. And I'm constantly making a fool of myself. But I'd like to share those moments with you because maybe it'll help you avoid a similar fate. Or maybe you can just make fun of me. When we started out our trip, we started kind of meeting some families on the road. And we met one family um, of Americans and they were, they're terrific. We hung out with them in Singapore and they had, uh, they told us, you know, Hey, we, we had to ship back some of our stuff to the States. You know, we had to ship back a couple of boxes, boxes of stuff, you know? And I remember specifically thinking, these guys are chumps. You really, you tapped down, you shipped back stuff. What you didn't pack properly, you know, didn't fill your backpack. Well, you know, a few months later, lo and behold, I just shipped back stuff 
myself to the States and I could not be happier. So every man has his breaking point. I, uh, we had accumulated so much stuff. It was becoming insane. And this final walk that we did to our hotel here, it totally broke me. And I finally found a post office and I will give a shout out to the post office in Valka Bestritza, Czech Republic. Uh, this woman is amazing. She has allowed my trip to continue by helping me in Czech. She does not speak English. Of course, I don't speak Czech. I try, but it's difficult. And uh, we figured it out. We got two boxes shipped back to Colorado. And I just ran up and repacked my stuff for our, for our train tomorrow. And it's so much lighter. I feel so much better. And I feel bad for criticizing anyone who had to ship stuff back. I didn't think I was like that. But I think what happens is you kind of pick up you know, I, I use this phrase all the time, but it's a death by a thousand cuts. You pick up a cool board game here, you know, a little fun, like souvenir over there, maybe an extra little diary, you know, who, who doesn't need more diaries? There's so much fun there. They're so, they're so cute and you can write in them like you're something out of a Jane Austen novel. And, uh, we just, we had, completely overdone it and uh so shipped it off i i was prepared to to pay more than we did i was prepared to pay anything i was on my knees and it was uh, pretty reasonable and we got through the process i did one last night a big box and one this morning so um but yeah uh, enough respect to this postal worker she could have been totally annoyed by me because I'm generally an annoying person and uh, she was totally cool. So, Thank you for listening to this show. I am constantly trying to improve through the process of iteration. Your time is valuable and I appreciate you spending it here. We are now available on Google Apple, and Spotify. Wherever you are listening, please take a moment to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe. And I promise to do whatever I can to send you good vibes.